Major General Ronald Wynn Burkett II is the commander of the 36th Infantry Division in Austin, Texas. As a subordinate unit, the 81st SBCT would fall under his command in the event of a large-scale mobilization. In this episode, the commander of the 81st Striker Brigade Combat Team, Colonel Matt James, sits down to have an in-depth discussion on what it means to be a member of the Arrowhead team. Let's get after it. We have a professional obligation for the ethical application of, uh, of force. You can have a growth mindset where you're always achieving for better. This is about us, about our guard, our reputation. We are all in this together. Outthink, outmaneuver, and outfight the enemy. If you wage war, do it energetically and with severity. This is the only way to make it shorter and consequently less inhumane. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Raver Report podcast. I'm Chaplain Sanders. And I have uh, two very special guests on today. I'm on with uh, 81st Brigade Commander uh, Colonel uh, Matt James, and then I'm on with uh, Major General uh, Ronald Wynn Burkett the third. Is that correct? Is the second? There's only two of us. There's only two of us. Okay. All right. So yeah. So uh, um, just gotta get us going. I have a question for you. Like, why do you? Uh, why don't you go by Ronald? Why do you go by Win? Yeah. So my great grandfather was a Ronald. My dad's a Ronald. Interesting. And uh, the middle name is Winfield. Winfield. And I think if uh, you know, my parents maybe thought you know if we give him a one syllable name with three letters, it's easier to okay. yell at. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah. So it it Win stuck and. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's what I've always known. Right. I, I do not answer to Ronald. I, I'm confused when anybody yells at that. Yeah. Really, I think we missed it. Uh, General Blankett is the 36th Infantry Division. What, oh, yeah, yes, absolutely. In, uh, in Texas. I'll tell you, that's almost like a theme on the show. Is like I'm terrible at, at, uh, at introductions, sir. So, I'm hey, sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. I mean, right. Thank you for having me on your program. I think, one, yeah. this is a great initiative. Is there? Um, but to participate in this is, is going to be outstanding. So thank you for having me. Right, yeah. Well, we think it's important that people know their leaders, um, not just like on a term of, uh, of like professionally, but personally, like who, who you are. One of the things that we've really kind of uh, uh, fleshed out, and we're recording this in the month of August. So all this month we have like local sports uh, coaches that are coming out. And um, they, uh, the one thing that seems to be recurring in all of them is that like the coaching is cool, but relationships are what gets performance out, out of the players and yeah. stuff like that. So like building this like relationship saying like, hey, look, I am your division commander and this yeah. is who I am, like is really kind of like the first you know, step forward in, in building like, you know, relationships with the formation. Yeah, I think a coach would say the relationships enable trust and confidence and that's what builds teams right and that's what they focus on and i'm not any different and matt's not any different we're, we're building teams yeah right yeah it, absolutely like we believe that, that uh coaches are leaders and leaders are coaches like and so like they're you know two two of the of the same thing, different, uh, different, uh, words for them, more or less. Mm -hmm. So in, in that vein, like, let's just get started with like, like who is major general Burkett? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I learned, hmm. I'm learning more about that role every day, man. Uh, but, uh, uh, but just to give you kind of some of my background, I, I got commissioned in 1989. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew I was going to be in the army growing up. I knew it. Um, I enlisted in, uh, 19 into 1986 um, and I, I was going to do six years uh, build time for you know college credits and and that was going to be it right. uh, but the more I got involved in it the more I really liked it uh, my grandfather um, my dad his brothers my uncles my great uncles they all served in the joint force at large right. um, and so 
uh, grew up as an army brat. Um, so I knew that I was going to go in the army. What I did not know is 37 years later that you'd still be here. <laughs> I'd, I'd still be, you know, able to wear the uniform. So, um, uh, so it's it's been it's been an incredible uh, ride. It's been great for our family. Um, my wife and I got married in 1986. Uh, she, uh, you know, obviously was there when I got pinned to second lieutenant, and uh, has been in all of my promotion ceremonies and. Uh, you know, our kids, we were on active duty for about the first 11 years. And while they don't remember um, a whole lot of uh, the different places we stayed, I think it um, definitely has made them the resilient, productive people that they are today, man. I mean, I, I really attribute a lot of the environment that they grew up in um, is, is part of their success. And so... Uh, I'm surprised looking back on it now. Um, I had great reasons for it, but when I got off active duty uh, in two, early 2000, um, I thought I was done. And, uh, and it, it, it wasn't 60 days later that I joined a guard unit right. um, in Houston, Texas. And uh, uh, started off as an artillery guy, uh, branch transferred um, a few years later to aviation. Um, did a couple of different aviation assignments while I was on active duty. Then transitioned to the guard and uh, was just um, just enamored by what the guard does. Still am right. that that we have people. You know, if you look at just the attack uh, helicopter environment that I was in um, when I first transitioned to the guard, it, it's the exact same minimums. You know, our our pilots have to perform at the same standard, right? Fly the same number of hours that our active component counterparts do, yeah. and uh, the fact that you know at Echelon our leaders make time to prepare for drill weekends and annual trainings and give up their time so freely uh, to be part of this organization, I'm still enamored by it. Right. And, um, uh, and so, you know, I, I didn't realize then either that I was going to continue to do it. I thought I was going to do it for 20 years, and that was a long time ago. Right. Um, I've had the opportunities to do really great assignments. Um, you know, after uh, 9-11, uh, I was still a traditional guardsman for about – Four years, but I was spending more and more time uh, doing military things, um, uh, and like so many of my peers, volunteering to do more and more military things, and uh, had the opportunity to go into the AGR program and uh, and, and jumped on it and uh, and, and prepared for uh, deployments in uh, 2004. Um, mobilized again in 2005 and realized I just had a lot of active duty time starting to amass and so going into the AGR program I thought was a great fit um, had no idea what that was going to be you know, <laughs> right. um, uh, almost immediately went to um, Army North at a time that uh, uh, they were standing up and transitioning from uh, Fifth Army to Army North as a, as a, as a you know ASCC to NORTHCOM Northcom had just stood up, and the focus that we had on homeland defense, um, obviously very critical. But how we support supported civil authorities um, and did the discommission was was a big focus back then, and uh, and so I got integrated into that um, at a at a planning level, and um, I you know I wouldn't say it was ground grassroots, but it was early on in it, right. and uh, transition from there to. Uh, the Army Guard Readiness Center and really focused on DOM ops and was at ground level for, you know, SERP development and HERF and 
uh, C-SMURF at the time that evolved into the C2 CRE enterprise that we have now. And um, it's been really interesting to see how that's developed. But uh, while I was up there, I had opportunities to uh, to have you know a lot of different staff assignments that helped me understand what NGB does to influence the states um, and and how we can use the totality of the National Guard to respond to events in the homeland to include catastrophic events and uh, I don't know if I'm getting off topic or not but, no, but it no. helped me understand that there's a there's a difference in in understanding if you're in the guard um you understand the capacity of the guard in your state and how you respond to Mm -hmm. state activities but how you would respond nationally um and leverage the totality again of the national guard to respond to a catastrophic event that was really never well communicated and so uh, had the opportunity to be the uh, J-55 um, for General Grass when he was CNGB. And one of the things that he asked uh, our team to do is put together um, you know, a comprehensive National Guard support plan of how we would do that and just codified it. You know? And it wasn't necessarily to instruct National Guard states. It was more to instruct you know, FEMA and, and other uh, uh, partners, um, right. ESFs, uh, that NORTHCOM, Army North of, you know, this is the capacity to guard. Here's our limitations. Here's our capabilities, um, and how we can support the nation's response to a catastrophic event. And that was a tremendous opportunity. Right. Um, went to the War College while I was up there. Went to Jaws. It, you know, Jaws was a great experience. I didn't, I didn't know what a Jaws was uh, <laughs> until I was selected to attend that program. But it was um, fascinating experience. Well, to for get, the audience, or can, yeah. can you tell us what? Yeah, yeah. Joint Advanced Warfighter School. Um, so I did not go to Carlisle Barracks. Um, and Joint Advanced Warfighter School is in Norfolk, Virginia. And uh, in my small group, my sim that, that I was assigned to, um, and we had, you know, maybe three of the 13 or 14 of us were Army, um, but we had uh, interagency partners. We had all services that were represented in that small sim. And it was a great learning environment for me um was yeah. uh selected to command um uh the aviation brigade here in texas and and that brought me back right um and and and, and that was a great uh, a great opportunity um a really great opportunity because it was um we were still supporting uh iraq and afghanistan at the time and the uh brigade had sent uh three of our four battalions um, overseas, right. and uh, little did I know we were going to execute Harvey, mm-hmm. you know, a few months later, and, uh, you know, at the time, Harvey hit, I, I think we had, like, 12 aircraft in the state, but within right. 72 hours, we had well over 70 aircraft in the state from 22 different other 22 states, states <laughs> and, it, and I got to be part of what I thought was a great guard story, Yeah, uh, great Texas story, and how we responded to the citizens of the state, but how how we leverage that totality again of the National Guard to, to focus on a large-scale event. And so that's, yeah. that sounds like kind of a, a mission command example that you got, like, I think you just said 72 aircraft from, from other states. How, how did you guys manage or lead or, or control that uh, that growth in, in those outside entities? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, so um, at the time, it was happening absolute real-time, right? So as these units came in, we had to do, you know, reception and onward integration. And 
at that scale, we had never done it before. Right. Um, but we, you know, we had to bring the aircraft in. We had to plan on how we were going to move across the Joa, where we needed to be in the future versus where future being next 24 or 48 as opposed to present and then, you know, monitoring the environment and risk and it was just really dynamic, Matt, you know, to, so to say that this was, we executed our SOP, that's not true. Um, what we did is we executed mission command really to its, to its intended purpose. Here's my intent. Here's what I think the end states are. Team, do you understand where we're going with this, how we need to communicate? And I, I'm telling you, man, I, I, everybody that showed up bought into it immediately. So you got to Dallas, you did the JRSOI, and you, within hours, were in the Joa, literally saving lives, um, moving commodities, um, absolutely making an impact, you know, within hours of, of arriving. And, uh, and and I, I I look back on it as a, as an example of mission command and it's at its finest. Yeah, what do you what did you learn from that? Like you personally, like because that's a pretty like unprecedented, demanding, and confusing time to be in charge of a lot of stuff. I mean, you get like civilians that are out there like they're like literally drowning, and like you have all these different entities coming in and they're looking to you. So like whenever you sit back and you kind of reflect on that, like what what kind of like takeaways do you have from it? Uh, so. <clears throat> Uh, so, and you, and you only get it through reflection, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I got it while I was in the middle of it, but there were, there were times that I remember thinking, okay, now I've got all of the capacity. How do I employ them? Right. And, uh, and, and that's not, you can't sit back and say, well, uh, I haven't been asked for anything yet. You know, um, you know, all, all events are local. Right, and, and we are a supporting effort. We are not the main effort. Right. And, um, and so how we interface with civil, civil authorities, um, how we get inside their planning cycles to, to see what they're gonna need yeah. 24, 48, 72 hours So you hours had like a marketing later. problem. Like, um, like they didn't know that you, you, what you could do. Yeah, well, yes. Um, although, uh, you know, we, we handled hurricanes and, and other things. Um, every year right uh and 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 i think our uh office of emergency management continues to evolve and, and it just it just gets better and better and better the communication gets better um you know harvey was just kind of a freak event right um and you know hurricanes don't typically make landfall three times you know, we don't typically <laughs> right. get 51 inches of rain you know so um so so my immediate was um i can't wait for requests I can't wait for someone else to tell me what the requirements are going to be. I've got to get out there and do that. And so to your question, I think specifically was, yeah. do my teams, you know, whether it's maintenance or, uh, you know, the different uh, uh, fobs that we created um, that we're doing commodities distribution or we're doing life-saving or working with Texas Task Force One. Right. Um, did they have enough information? Did they have the resources that they needed? Have I minimized friction as much as I can at this level? Right. Now I need somebody that's going to go out and find us business. Right. And, uh, and, and, and I, I look back on that and I, I feel like that was probably one of my most significant contributions was getting into our state operations center and embedding myself 
in, in those discussions um, and then bringing the right people in and the subject matter experts. Because I'm not, I'm not that guy, but I've got a team that is. Right. And then pulling the right people in um, and just continuously updating uh, uh, information that, that enables shared understanding across the entire JOA. Right. And, and it, it, it happened in real time, and it was, it was a great experience. But, you know, I, I left that and, mm. uh, and had the opportunity to uh, be an ADC uh, for the division. We went uh, on a deployment to OSS and uh, to get beyond an aviation environment that I was – uh, certainly more uh, comfortable comfortable in in a in a domestic response environment that I'd really spent you know the better part of the previous seven years focused on right uh, and now really be at the tactical level uh, and and you know working across you know all of the different maneuver elements within uh, the division I learned more about sustainment in that year than I probably did in the, you know the previous <laughs> 30 years, you know? right, right, um, and uh, and it was just an incredible uh, growth opportunity. Yeah, it's funny you say that's so right. <clears throat> Spend as a brigade commander, <clears throat> I try to spend most of my time with the uh, sustainment battalion, the field artillery, <clears throat> excuse me, and the and the engineers. Because yeah. I go see the infantry stuff, I know what they're doing, I know what they're doing well, what they're not doing well. It's just they don't need to hear that from me <laughs> a lot of times. So I I go try to learn all the stuff I don't know as, as much about, just yeah. kind of like you were talking about. But but all the while, you're enabling their success, man, because sure. we've, we've got to be able to sustain sure. uh, that maneuver and, and ultimately sustain our successes and keep, keep pushing forward. Right? So you're, you're doing exactly the right things. I just, I just that was a whole world where, uh, you know, I've been in multiple FARPs throughout my career. Mm-hmm. I didn't know where this stuff came from. I just knew <laughs> right. it was there on time. It just shows up. So, you know? Um, <laughs> right. so, yeah, so um, one of the things I wanted to kind of uh, – to circle back around to is that like uh, you decided to get out of active duty mm-hmm. like what was that decision like like why did you decide to do that and what did that look like and then um you said like about 60 days later next thing you know you're back in uniform in, in the garden and I, I sympathize with you a lot because i was basically the same way like for six years uh so i was a, a oh58 uh crew chief for the first six years and i know that you're qualified on the alpha chuck so that's kind of mm-hmm. interesting yeah. yeah so like uh i knew like i was like six years i'm getting out i get out and then i sit, sit there and i'm like man, this is like really boring. And so like I ended up back in, I came back in as, a, as an infantryman for, for a few years. Uh, and that was an interesting shift. Um, so like, what was that like for you? Like, why did you get out and then why did you get back in? Yeah, you know, so that was, uh, um, it made so much sense at the time. And, and, mm-hmm. and I think the reason it made so much sense is because I really agonized over the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I loved it then. Um, but when I came back from Germany, uh, I was assigned to then Fifth Army, and uh, and I was an observer controller trainer, mm-hmm. um, and uh, had a team that uh, that focused on, um, you know, primarily uh, aviation readiness um, for attack battalions west of the Mississippi. Right, and uh, and I did that for two years, and uh, I lived in a community um, in South Houston that was not military. And, uh, and, you know, all of my neighbors, you know, it, it, you know, that's it, grass is greener kind of thing. You know, they, they, they knew where their kids were going to go to high school. You right. know, they knew when their next vacation was going to be. Um, they, 
I don't know, at least at the time, it looked like they knew when they were going to retire and where they were going to settle. And it was like, ugh, you know, I'd never been exposed to that before. Right. And it was very different. Right. And, uh, and I think it's a normal inflection point in a, uh, in a soldier's career uh, as you get close to that 10-year mark. You know, I mean, 10 years went by really fast. The next 10 years are going to go by really slow. <laughs> right. You know, this is when I, it's right for me to make a transition. Um, it was more complicated than that um, at the time. Uh, very difficult decision, um, but but I did. I got out and uh, and I joined a, a, a company, a wonderful company. And um, Ask Jeeves, if you remember, oh yeah, uh, the Internet Butler. You know? and, <laughs> right. and so you know, I, I uh, represented. I was part of a team that uh, represented the the corporate solution to to Ask Jeeves. And, uh, and it was, it was very much a pioneer effort at the time. You know, nobody knew what the WWW was, but I got to have it and I got to be on it. All right. And, uh, so it was really kind of an exciting time and the company had a great message and uh, great branding. And, um, I mean, I have nothing negative to say about them at all, nothing, but, uh, but I went to California and I was, you know, all involved in my. Uh, train up and and, uh, and transition into that company, and uh, they were really excited, uh, not to have me, but to have somebody like me that had the the discipline and right. you know self motivated, self starter, you know, which you could say about you know all of uh, the people it, that we hang out with every day, right? Right. Um, and uh, and so I didn't get a lot of direction on what I was supposed to do next. I really had a lot of autonomy right and uh and i met you know as many people in the organization as i could and i learned as much as i could and then after about 30 45 days i'm like hmm what's next you know like i, I not that I, I had perfected it by any means but i just felt like i had more time right uh, than i was using during a day and i uh, had more time than I was using in a week or a month and man what is missing I couldn't figure out what it was and uh and then it just dawned on me that you, you you're not in uniform anymore right you know and and uh and so I I joined the guard unit right. uh, that I that I had been supporting one of the guard units I'd been supporting I was a battalion in Houston and uh um you know that that's that's my first unit that's where I joined the guard and I, I still love that unit to this day um and what they represent. And what I didn't know at the time was, man, there's a whole big guard out there. <laughs> you know, and, and, and now as a division commander, you know, I get to work with our partner states as part of division alignment. And, and I get to see people that I've never met before, but we are the same people. Yeah. You know, we, I've served with you before. You just had a different nameplate yes, on, sir. man, because you, you adhere to the same values. You know, we, we can talk about problem sets and you, and, and you can, you're, you're immediately part of the discussion. You know, we we have all shared in very similar experiences or will, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's just an incredibly unique environment. Yeah. Uh, the guard is. Um, so yeah, so it's interesting that. Right. Yeah, I just want to kind of expand on that for a second. Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting. I I also got off active duty after about ten years. I didn't know that. But I'm not going to talk about the why. I want to talk about. It took me the last 15 years to kind of learn, and I'm still learning about the National Guard. Because as you said, sir, <clears throat> it's pretty unique because it's full of individuals like you were for a short time as a citizen soldier, 
uh, that work at companies that all have these unique stories, uh, just like our chaplain here flies up to Washington from Texas every month for drill. Um, and, and, and for me, it's, it's literally taken me 15 years to, to continually figure out the, uh, the meaning, the uniqueness, and, and the challenges of, of the citizen soldier. Because I, yeah. I stumbled into the AGR program kind of accidentally, so I, I, I never really spent a lot of time as the, the true citizen soldier. Yeah. So that's why I, I just sit down and I listen. I listen to everybody's story, and yeah. it, it's, it's amazing uh, where our people come from. Yeah. Well, that's why I started this whole thing with, man, I'm learning every day, and I, and I am. Um, and it's, uh, it's truly a very unique environment that we are in as a citizen soldier. I mean, we're the only compo that answers to two executives. Sir. Um, and, um, yeah. and it's busy. You know, it's an unprecedentedly busy time in the National Guard, not just Texas, but across the Guard, and what we've accomplished and what we've been asked to do over the last three years, this is not the National Guard your grandfather or grandmother were in. It, it's a completely different uh, environment. And, and, you know, specifically, um, on any given day in the Texas National Guard system across the TMD, you know, we're about... 45 to 48% of our available force committed every single day. That's a lot. And by committed, what I mean is away from your employer, away from your family, doing something in support of the governor or the president um, as we continue to push units to the force comm missions. And so, you know, we're building readiness for uh, domestic response and we're building readiness for, uh, uh, for the war fight. And, and sometimes uh, that produces unique challenges, unique to the Guard, because, because the other components don't do that at the scale that we do. Um, and so it's uh, yeah. very much a learning environment, but it also you know, presents unique challenges to our retention and our recruiting effort. Yeah, I know you wrote about that in your your Jawa paper. We were just basically saying that, like, look, you know, like, the, you know, total force readiness kind of like dies on this hill, and then like we we go to this whole other operational reserve, and like we're trying to struggle, like, what what did that what does that look like? And you have have a very unique kind of um, perspective and experience that, like, in my Jaws paper, is that what you just said? yes, sir. Chaplain, so, you read that paper? Yes, sir. Well, I'm glad somebody did. <laughs> All right. So, so. so thank you very much. Yeah, so that was my thesis. Oh so. uh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So so well, I mean, so that was what, what like oh four oh five. That's all. I mean, what point well, is it was a while. It was it a while was a ago. While ago you know. But I, I think it was more like twelve. Twelve. Okay. Yeah. So either way, but like, uh, there's a lot of time that's, that's elapsed, and you're you've evolved as a leader and a, as uh, as an officer in charge of like a major chunk of, of that operational force. So what is um, how like if you were to revisit that thesis and say like, okay, from my chair now, this is how we this is the path forward. What does that look like to you? Yeah. So. Uh, so you've read it, so you know that it absolutely should be a required on everybody's reading. Yes, yeah, sir. <laughs> so, I, you know, actually, in, in all honesty, I, I, I think that a lot of the um, study and the research that I did that enabled the observations that I made um, very much hold true today. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what is the National Guard's role and future conflict, and how do we, I mean, we, we talk a lot about modernization. And when we do, um, the conversation's about equipment. 
the conversations about formations. Um, how we modernize the guard to meet the requirements in great power competition and preparing for uh, future conflict at LISCO. Um, I'm enamored at how the Army's approaching this. I mean, I, I truly am, and we are doing great things at speed mm -hmm. um, that I think um, I know uh, are informing our adversaries that we have the capacity to fight, we have the willingness to fight, and more importantly, we have the means to win. Right. Um, and, and that's deterrence. Um, uh, what we're, ex we're experimenting with, uh, you know, how we're getting after Mission Command in the future, uh, those, those the systems that we're gonna use, how do we do sustainment on the move, um, how do we fight and win in an MDO environment, and what does that mean? How do we leverage technology? Um, it, it's there's some great things that are happening, right? Um, but the guard still has 39 training days to build this readiness, right? So how do you do it? So how do you do it? Yeah, right. And 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 what do we need to do, looking longer term, um, to change? you know, IDT patterns that, that, that really have been in place, you know, that one week and a month, two weeks a year. Right. That's, we're not executing that today. Matt, you're not executing that today. Right. We can't. Yes, sir. Uh, so, so, but one of the things that we're going to have to do um, at the same time is we're going to have to maintain trust with our employers. Um, we need to convince them, uh, continue to convince them that they are part of the nation's security strategies um, and the fact that they employ guard members they've got skin in this um, and and I think that that's important but we need to be able to do it in a way that is predictable and manageable and that they can see without being surprised that this is why my employees are going to be missing and when that happens and you know it's just like our units they've, they've got to find ways to mitigate risk to their to their companies um, and so other people have to pick up when our people move out. Mm -hmm. And so we owe it to them uh, to be predictable. Right. Um, and we owe it to our families. Right. And, uh, and so we've got to do that in stride as we modernize uh, moving forward. Um, yeah. I, Matt and I, and uh, the other brigade command teams, we are focused on building fit, trained, disciplined, cohesive squads and teams. And depending on where you are in your training year, in your rearm cycle, you'll go from that level to platoons. Um, and, and that's really what we're funded at. Yes, sir. And so where we achieve greater readiness capabilities before we go to a mode platform, uh, because we want to set ourselves up for success, we know that we have to give uh, company command teams and battalion staffs and brigade staffs, the sets and reps at echelon that it takes to build that type of comp, uh, collective training proficiency. We'll get it again at the Mo platform, but we've got to do it to build that generational readiness. We've got to we've got to participate in uh, CTC rotations. We you eighty first a great example. You you guys are 
So you're doing everything. You know, you're supporting exercises in Indo-PACOM. Uh, you're going to NTC. You're planning for it. I look at your five-year training calendar, and I, I, I'm amazed that you were able to do what you do given the 39 training days that you're funded at every yeah. year. And we know when we've gone over, sir, when we've gone over those 39 days, um, we, we have our, had a hard time uh, keeping folks in. And so we're trying to strike that balance that you just were kind of discussing of with the employer, with the school, with the family, and, and making that contract as predictable as possible so, so folks know what's coming by year uh, because we do generally have you know, kind of these five-year plans. And so instead of looking at things month to month or year to year, we try to kind of lay things out in, hey, this is what your next three years can look like. Yeah. Um, can you sign up for this? Is this, is this something we can, we can work at together um, to make sure that I'm giving you everything you need to be successful on the spending side and you're, you're giving me all the time you need to be, to be ready and prepared uh, on the soldier side? Yeah. And even on the collective side. Um, and, it, and one more thing I kind of want to talk about with modernization is, a, and it's not a new idea, but with our human capital, is continually finding ways, uh, learning uh, to empower doubt as, as low as possible so that those sustainment questions uh, don't get to our levels, so that, that people figure things out at their level. They figure out the platform that's going to that, that's gonna work uh, to keep the fight moving. Uh, whatever the, the issue is, and whatever the uh, MOS is, you know, how do we train, empower down, so people feel that they, you know, within discipline initiative, they can make those decisions. You know, we got to yeah. have shared trust, that mutual understanding, um, to get after problems at your level, yeah. and not not have to make four radio calls up to uh, get permission to do something. Uh, so. <clears throat> So, I mean, interesting question, and, I, and, 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 I, and I don't want to sound like I don't agree with what you just said, because I absolutely agree wholeheartedly with what you just said. But what we're trying to, and I think the, the purpose of your question and, and the point behind it is that at Echelon, you have to understand what that Echelon does and how you coordinate and inform your higher Echelon so that your running estimates get nested into theirs. Um, and their running estimates get nested in the division because it's, I feel like I own sustainment at the division level. I feel like I own transitions at the division level. Um, I've got an amazing staff um, that should power that down to you guys at the brigade level. You have a great staff too, but you're powering it down to battalion level. Um, and, and so I'll answer it this way. You know, the, I think that that's, probably one of the greatest attributes uh, that's coming out of division realignment. Um, I, I don't have the authority and I don't have the resources to direct what the 81st is going to do in their training years. I, I can help inform it by understanding what you do um, and then how I use that I'll get to in just a second. But um, but I don't have the authority to do that. What, what I... Um, think we've done traditionally is we've focused, you know, the last 20 years on, on brigades as, as units of action. And we've got uh, 27 IB, uh, BCTs across the National Guard. And they were operating independent of divisions for the most part. And they were on different rotational cycles and really did not get the experience above brigade level. And so division alignment is going to enable us to do that. 
um, and it will give us the opportunity to, while I can't direct what you do, um, we use our commanders conferences and each of you guys come in and you talk about your five-year strategy. And, you know, last year we did our first one. Um, this year we're going we're gonna to apply everything we learned from last year and we're going to go into this environment uh, with the intent of being really active listeners on where I can support the 81st SBCT, where the 81st can be part of a combined arms team in support of 155 or 278 or where the 36th Combat Aviation Brigade or the 111 Sustainment Brigade or the MEB or the you know 36th Sustainment Brigade can be part of your training, not only to enable your success, but to get the exposure to that combined arms team with enablers and what we do. Now, I, I can't do it as a division. I don't, I don't have the capacity to do that, to bring all of the brigades together just to, to participate in a division training exercise. can't do that. But I can do it at scale. And, and how we get there is by planning our five-year strategies collectively and where we've got the opportunity to assist. If we're going to NTC, there should be no reason that we're going in across our warfighting functions under grade plate or level of experience. We've done that in the past and it's good opportunities for junior officers and NCOs, but in today's environment, because of division alignment, because we have the opportunity um, to share our training goals and objectives across the division, we should be able to look out far enough in advance to say, I need a, I need a, a fire chief. I need um, personnel to fill out my protection cell. I need sustainers at these grade plates with this ex experience to make that learning uh, environment richer. Um, and we can do that in, in, in then getting back to your point is where battalion staffs never had that opportunity because they didn't have you know, the entire brigade staff in their state or they never had access to a division staff. We've got that now. So you can take what you've learned and you can apply it at the next echelon and it prepares you to be part of a division and or operate under a division because you understand the processes and what your estimate does to inform brigade, what brigade's estimate does to inform division and how decisions get made. I, that's something we didn't have the opportunity to do before division alignment. And, and, um, and I think that I'm really blessed because the tags uh, involved um, in our division alignment in New Mexico, Tennessee, um, uh, Washington, obviously, and uh, Mississippi have all fully bought into this and are completely supportive um, and have high expectations of me and high expectations of you that we're going to make this work. Sure. And, uh, and I'm really pleased with the progress that, that we've made uh, today. We, got, we still have a long way to go, uh, but, but the writing's on the wall. I mean, there, there is a tremendous amount of opportunity uh, for us to get and be able to sustain generational leadership and exposure for NCOs and, and uh, junior officers from lieutenant all the way to division command. Uh, where we didn't have that opportunity before. Right. Long-winded answer to your question. I, 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 to your point, I, I think, um, yes, while I want to power down and, and make, help create an environment where people learn and grow at Echelon, 
I'm not focused on the echelon that they're at. It's how do we set them up for success at the next echelon? How do we do that talent management, that leader professional development um, so that, uh, one, I, I think it enriches their careers and it, and it helps them see potential beyond what historically they may have had within their state. We, we just participated in a warfighter in uh, <clears throat> early June with the 42nd Infantry Division. And um, we spent a lot of time just talking about what we think the division's trying to do. What, what is the division, because we're so used to being the, the, the coin of the realm as the, the brigade combat team. Uh, and we spent a lot of time talking about the other brigade combat teams and the division staff and, and what they're, you know, how they're looking at 72 hours out and 96 hours out and how we fit into that, that play, whether it's sustainment, whether it's key terrain, uh, whether it's part of the deep fight. Um, so we, we spent a lot of time just educating ourselves on how we thought the division was thinking. And, and the division, after about three or four days, paid a lot more attention to us, but they were doing exactly what we, what we thought they were. They mm -hmm. were trying to figure out these hard problems that had nothing to do with my little tiny AO um, to get the division you know, X number of miles within four or five days. Yeah. So our, our education process, like you're talking about, sir, right? we've never had that opportunity before to plug in and understand kind of what the division's trying to do. Yeah. And, and so we spent a lot of time doing that. I'm, man, that, that's what's going to make it work. You know, that, that's what, it's the, it's, the, it's the tip of the spear, it's that small unit that's going to make contact with the enemy, maintain contact with the enemy, destroy or defeat that, that force. That, that's what they're going to do. But at Echelon, how do we create that environment where they're going to be successful? Um, how do we scale that? How do we set the conditions? Um, you know, cores are going to set the conditions for divisions in the deep fight. Divisions within their AOs are going to use the deep area to set the conditions for brigades in the close fight, and it just continues to go down at Echelon. But everything that you said about, you know, controlling terrain, protecting population areas, um, using maneuver to seize advantage, um, you know, all, where do we plan transitions? How do we sustain that? It, it's, you know, that's shared understanding. And if, if we have that, then everything else clicks. Um, it also speaks to a lot of the comp complications that we have right now, you know, and, and mission command on the move, and, you know, what are the future mission command systems that we're gonna use? Um, Operating in and out of a FOB is different than large-scale combat operations and how do we do this on the move in a, you know, ubiquitous surveillance environment. You know, we're, everything we do is going to be seen. Um, and, you know, how, how we survive uh, is important, but it's survival that enables success on the battlefield. How do we win? Um, so it's, it's, I want... We want them, our adversary, to worry about survival. <laughs> We're focused on winning. Um, so it's uh, it's interesting how, how it's all coming together. Yeah, that seems to be like a, a reoccurring theme that, that comes up with everybody we talk to. That that um, the the future battlefield is very interesting. It's there. There is no more like you know like de safety and depth. It's just infinite depth. It's something we, we see in Ukraine. Uh, we talked to some aviators uh, a few months back, and uh, they said that like they brought up the FOB dynamic that like used to I landed and there was fuel there. Well, now all of a sudden there's not fuel in the AO to get, and so I have to be very choosy with where I fly and and why I fly and, and things like that. And it's a, a dynamic that we've never had to uh, had to to address anymore or to to you know 
take care of. And so, um, it kind of, it, it, it it's interesting. We have a, a, an interest in like a systems thinking, building learning organizations, um, and, and things like that. And so like, I think your experience with the, with the hurricane, because that's an unprecedented, um, situation that you had to learn. And then you, you had made mention that like your, uh, your state, uh, you know, disaster response officer uh, office, uh, is continually getting better and better. I'd be curious to see, or to hear what, um, what have you learned over the years in building a um, a learning organization that can say like, hey, look, here's this situation. This is what we did right. This is what we did wrong. These are the things that we can learn. And then leveraging that and then codifying that. Because one of the problems I think we have as a military is that like uh, we're constantly moving. So like you might be in this chair for an, an, another year or so, then there'll be another guy that's in this chair. Like how do you take your lessons learned and pass it on to that guy so that way he can say like, well, man, like – General Burkett did this right. He did this wrong. I need to like build on this success and, and go forward. Like what? Like what have you learned over your thirty-seven years uh, that can we pass on to them? Man, the short answer: what I've learned is we don't do it very well. Um, <laughs> right now, what we do well is we uh, we plan training well. Um, we follow an eight-step training model. We assess, you know, how the training went, what we need to change in the future to get more out of those experiences how that informs, um, uh, you, know, how, where, you know, how we measure our readiness coming out of those training events. It informs what needs to change in our processes and procedures. We update SOPs. But if I was being honest, it feels like we're constantly starting over. Right. Um, and, uh, and so I don't know if that's healthy or not healthy. I just know that that's what we do. Right. And, uh, and so... Uh, you know, tax ops are never finite things. They're always evolving, and they should. Um, but we can, I think, do a better job of not relearning lessons that we've already learned. Um, and I, and I think that's a historical thing. So, um, uh, you know, the book uh, from Texas to Rome was was written uh, by Fred Walker who was the 36th division commander at the time. And, uh, and, and it's, a, it's, it's, it's his diary uh, from the time that, uh, you know, he was coming out of the Louisiana maneuvers, active duty officer that was put in command of the 36th division um, to build that into a combat division that was ready for, you know, immediate overseas deployment. And uh, so it talks about that whole train-up period, and he, he goes back, and when he has time, he updates his, his diary, and he's talking about the training challenges that he had. And, uh, and then, you know, it, it kind of transitions to, you know, now we're at ports in New York, and we're sailing to the European theater, and, uh, and then we've made landing, you know, all, all of that stuff, all the way through the liberation of Rome. It's a fascinating book. And... Uh, the reason I'm bringing that up is because you you flip through it, and what is equally fascinating is he's talking about your career. Well, he's he's talking about our career. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you know basic principles of leadership and why those are important. You know basic principles of fieldcraft and why that's important, and you know security and protection and mass and you know convergence today, but just why all of those things are important and what happens when you don't have it and leadership challenges and questions and it's it's you can relate to it i guess is my point you you can flip through it and go wow you know that's 
that was a problem back then too. Right. You know, I mean, it's you know, it's really interesting. But I, so I think, one, we relearn lessons over and over again, and that's what I mean by we don't do it very well. No, yeah, but we don't. Our ability to uh, it increases our resiliency. Um, I think the the fact that we rely so heavily um, on an NCO core. Um, and we have a professional NCO core um, is is a big difference in our army and what you're seeing that's being executed in Ukraine today. Yeah. Uh, especially by you know you know considered a peer competitor and the fact that they they didn't do they it very well. Capability, you know? <laughs> right. and, and so um, we we can afford to relearn lessons sometimes. Right. Uh, but but I think in today's environment, at the pace and kind of the way your question started out. Um, we are relooking doctrine as as an army, as a joint force. We we are relooking how we make that transition to echelons above brigade, and what are their roles, and what do divisions, corps, field armies, theater armies, what do they do, and and what are our training environments to get after that? And NTC is is going to become a more and more and more complex environment, higher intensity, um, designed to really get after building success in an MDO environment, but how do we achieve convergence? How do we, how do, how are brigades informed by divisions is an issue on above brigade? How do they support what they do? We've talked a little bit about that already, but um, what I'm seeing in those environments today is, you know, we're, we're putting aviation brigade staffs in with a maneuver brigade in the box. We're putting fires brigade staffs in the same box. We're putting division tacks uh, and, and, you know, division C2 structures as an umbrella uh, in those boxes um, to get the most out of that experience, not just at brigade level, which traditionally they've been, but at echelon, how do you fight as members of a combined arms team and enablers within your parent division and not, you know, the division that's created as part of the training scenario. Um, it's, we're going to get a lot out of that. Right. Now, how does the guard do that? That's a new challenge. It's, it is. It, it's a new challenge. And, uh, and so I, I'm, I'm not sure how we do that. And it goes kind of circles back to our modernization discussion and how, how we fit into that, um, moving forward and, and still do it within the confines of the 39 statutory days. Right. Keep employers, employers on board because we're predictable. They see the value that's being added. It's not building readiness to build readiness. It's building readiness that gets consumed and man, as an employer, I'm part of that. You know, I'm indirectly part of that, yeah. but I'm supporting our soldier. I'm supporting our community. I'm supporting our state and our nation. And, and that's the buy-in that we can, we, must continue to have. Right. No, that makes sense. It's interesting that, that you uh, you kind of bring up the, the history aspect of it. We had L- Lieutenant Colonel uh, Toscano on, who is a um, – he, he runs the Cognitive Marine Instagram page, but he's a, um, a logistician for, for the Marines. And uh, he was starting to, to describe how he thinks that the Marines uh, succeed in a littoral environment by basically living off the land, um, very Phil Knighty um, kind of uh, uh, approach. And uh, in that, I, w- I was like, have you ever read the book uh, Moving Mountains by Lieutenant General uh, 
Pagnoy. I can't remember his name. He was basically the, the S4 for Desert Storm. And uh, a lot of the things that he was saying, that, that he was like, this is a new concept I'm trying to pitch, is in Pagnoy's book. And I was just like, have you like have you ever read this book? And he's like, no, I haven't. And I was just like, yeah. interesting. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of, you're saying basically the same thing, that like a lot of the things that we're dealing with now are actually have been done in, in history. Yeah. That same episode, he brings up the fact that like uh, whenever Mattis would come in and brief, he would come with books. Like he wouldn't come with like a binder of like, these are my notes or whatever, but literal history books. And, and, and he would, he said that a lot of times this guy actually knew more about what you were about to brief than you did because he had studied the history of the environment, the people, everything. And so it's kind of uh, really interesting to double down on the fact that that studying history really is kind of like it's a roadmap for 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 where we're going and at least that's what i what i, I hear you saying for sure no, it, it absolutely is and you know so. thank, thank god we've got people in our formation like uh you know of the caliber of of, uh, of a jim mattis um but to you know colonel toscano's credit you know he's he's trying to solve a problem right now. yeah and uh and we have um you know, you know, across our formation at every rank. We've got people that maybe don't have the historical significance of it, but they've got the willingness to attack and the, the desire to attack the problem. Right. You know, and we're going to get after it. Maybe we're relearning something that, you know, historically has already been breached, you know, or, or maybe not. Right. You know, but, uh, uh, but, man, I'd, I'd certainly have Toscano on my team. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I was very impressed by him. Yeah. So. But, yeah, like, are you I, a historian, Matt? Are you... Yes, sir. I mean, generally speaking, I've, I've spent a lot of my life reading and uh, researching. Um, not as much time during brigade command as <laughs> I'd like to. So yeah. that's why I hesitated when I first answered. But yeah, uh, traditionally, I. Yeah, so I, I think you know when you read, um, I, I can't, I'm horrible with uh, with titles, but um, the book that um, General Mattis put out. Uh, uh, Call sign chaos. There it is. There yeah. you go, right there. You know, and you you just kind of watch how he his career evolved and how much time he spent you know, reading and I you make time to do those things and I man, I'm just not good at doing all of that you know but uh, I do read a lot uh, but what I find is um, things that become really interesting I've got to reread them because I know I miss some of the finer details yeah. so yeah you know I, th I think I've got uh, four books that I'm reading right now <laughs> and uh uh, one of them I know I've read several times, uh, but uh, but I, I'm not a read it. It's locked in. I don't need to pick it up again. You know, kind of capability that a, a general Mattis had. You know, so. Right. Yeah. Wish well, I was. <laughs> well, we're rolling up on a, on an hour, and I want to be respectful of your schedule, but that does kind of give us a good place to kind of end it. Like. Uh, out of, out of all the books that, that you read over the course of your career or your or your life, uh -huh. um, there's going to be some that um, just simply resonate more or shape you more than others. Um, what books were that was that for you? Um, you know, Chapman, I should be better prepared to answer that question. I mean, I I got that question. Um, uh, I was actually at Camp Robertson. I was uh, out there for the 41st XCTC, and uh, we had one of our battalions were out there. And uh, now I don't remember if it was a, a young NCO or officer that asked me the question, but he's like, hey, sir, what's, what's on your reading list? And uh, I couldn't come up with a single title. It's like, I, <laughs> I, I felt like I needed to answer, dude, I don't read, you know, but, but that's not true. I, I, I read a lot. And, uh, and so um, I came back and I had that same conversation with my wife and I thought through several titles. I'm like, I don't know why I didn't just say those titles, you know? And, 
and now I'm stumped again. You know, it's like, uh, Chaplin, I just don't read it, man. <laughs> That's uh, all right. So, so I, I've, I've, I've read several books that no doubt absolutely shaped uh, uh, who I am, without a doubt. Um, I don't know that I could narrow it down to three or four, you know, the, of the ones that were the most um, significant. Uh, because I don't, I don't remember the titles very well. Right, right. Um, so, man, I, I've, I've got to, I have got to put more thought to that. And, uh, <laughs> right. And I've got to come up with a bucket list of titles, but I'm, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not going to be able to help you with that right well, now. You should publish a reading list. I would like it. Reading you know, <laughs> Days in Hand was, was that, that would be huge, man. <laughs> right. You know, um, so, yeah, I should publish a reading list. Be, be and that's the same thing that, uh, that that NCO, young NCO officer told me at the time. So, yes, I should. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There you go. Well, uh, John Burkett, thank you for uh, for being on. It's been super awesome. If you wanted to leave our, our listeners with any like one thing to take away, that if, like if you were in my division, I want you to know this or I want you to do this, what would it be? You know, so, so we talked about a lot of it. I, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. going to start off by saying um, I want you to know how much I appreciate what you do. And it's not – I'm not saying that – because I'm a member of your community and I see you in uniform and I'm, I'm just really glad that we have people that do that. And I appreciate it when people tell me, thank you for your service. But, you know, I'm thanking our soldiers, Matt, because I know what they do. I know what you ask of them. I know what you ask of their families. I know what you ask of their employers. And having people that are willing to do that, they're all volunteers. <laughs> And they are giving up a significant amount of time to be part of a team. And we kind of started off with, we're building teams. Um, Be a part of that team. Have high expectations of yourself and of your other team members. Hold them accountable because you want them to hold you accountable. And and, and that includes me. I, I want the division to hold me accountable because it works both ways and that accountability is what builds that trust it mm-hmm. it's what builds that cohesion and it's what builds that desire to remain part of that team if if we continue to get that out of every soldier regardless of AOC or MOS we've created an environment where they know the value that they bring. They know how important they are to the organization. We keep them. But that's not, Matt, we, you and I both strive to create that environment. But every soldier has a role in that environment. And so I'm going to go back to thank you for what you do because I know what I ask of you in this environment. And what you do is important. But how you do it is critical. Right. Um, so, so thank you for your service. I'll, I'll leave it with that. That's a good, right place to end it. So thanks okay. for being on, sir. This has been the Raven Report Podcast, the official podcast of the 81st Striker Brigade Combat Team. If you're interested in seeing if you have what it takes to join our team, go to our Instagram and click the link in the bio. Click the join link and connect with us.